we want to go back to the original. What, what actually happened? And what was it like from Joseph's point of view? And I want to try and take you this afternoon on a, a bit of a journey, an emotional journey, story through Joseph and what he experienced. And there are really three parts. And this is really the, I mean, this is kind of like any good story has these sorts of bits in it. The first part that we're going to see is a dilemma. There's a huge dilemma that faces Joseph. Then we're going to see that there is a resolution to that dilemma and then a twist. That's where we're going. We're going to try and follow that journey through uh, this afternoon. And we know very little about Joseph. We know the family line that he came from. He was descended from David, a king, from many, many years earlier. But by the time it got to Joseph, this family had become really fairly ordinary. He was a carpenter and he was going about his life and he was going along a fairly standard life sort of tracks. Things were going well. And he was now in a position to get married and he was pledged to be married to Mary and they were preparing for that and thinking about that and it was all very exciting but all very laid out. It was all okay. Until really something happened that completely shook his world. This is how it says it in the Bible. Before they came together, Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You've got to imagine yourself being Joseph and hearing that news. It comes like a bolt out of the blue. We don't know how he found out the news. We don't know if Mary told him or one of her family told him. We don't know how it happened, but suddenly Joseph is aware that this life that he thought was going this way has all changed. Now, how does he react? What does he do when he hears this news? Interestingly, there's not a hint of anger. He doesn't get angry, but he does become afraid. He's fearful. And he's fearful because what he is confronted with, the situation that now faces him, is wrong. To Joseph, it seems so wrong. You see, Joseph, this is how he's described. He's a man who was faithful to the law. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a man who cared about right and wrong. He wanted to do the right thing. And he hears this news and he says, this is wrong. Something wrong has happened here. I don't know what, but it seems wrong. And not only is it wrong, it all, it's also shameful. You see, he's got this wrestle, this dilemma in his mind. It feels wrong and yet also, if, if this becomes public, Mary will be disgraced and shamed. So he's faithful to the law, yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. You see, this is his dilemma. He's faced with something that seems wrong and shameful. And he's trying to work out what to do. And so he makes this decision. He makes the decision to divorce her quietly. 
That is to try and cover up what's happened, to try and keep it secret, to try and cover what is wrong and shameful and try and keep it secret. That's his decision. Now, I want us to think for a second, before we come on to the resolution to this dilemma, I want us to think about those categories of wrong and shame. And just think for ourselves, we experience that, right? There are moments in our lives when we think, what is the right thing to do? What is the wrong thing to do? And how do you decide? How do you know what is right and wrong? How do you know right from wrong? If you'd asked Joseph that, he'd have known straight away. He'd have told you, the way that I know what is right and wrong is according to what God says. You see, the Bible worldview is that there is a God who made the world. He made everything, and as the God who's the creator, he therefore has the right to tell us how to live, to tell us right from wrong. He has the right to set the rules. Look, um, let me try and explain this a little bit more. Um, How many people here know who Charles Darrow is? Anyone here know? Okay, this is a guy that you need to know about. This is a guy who has been responsible, probably, for many hours of your life. Because this is the man who invented the game Monopoly. In 1934, Charles Darrow came up with the game Monopoly. Now, as the one who created the game, he has the right to set the rules of the game. Yes? That's how it works. So, let's play a little rules of Monopoly game. I think I might destroy some of your Christmases at this point, so I apologise in advance. Okay, let's let's do a simple one. If you roll three doubles in a row, what happens? You go to jail, you sure? Is that what the rules say? Okay, let's, uh, let's consult the official rules. If you throw doubles three times in succession, move your token immediately to the space marked in jail. Awesome. Very good. If you land on the square free parking, what happens? Right, how many people play the rule that you get all the money in the middle? It's a good rule. Isn't it a good rule? It's a very good rule. This is what the rules say. A player landing on this place does not receive any money, property or reward of any kind. This is just a free resting place. Now, in London, you should appreciate that free parking really is a huge blessing. That's not nothing. You can park there for free and you don't have to pay anyone any rent. What about if you're in jail and someone lands on one of your properties? Do they pay you rent? No. You're in jail. Let's check the rules. Even though you're in jail, you may buy and sell property, buy and sell houses and hotels, and collect rents. Who knew? I tell you what, if this doesn't cause some disputes and arguments with your family when you get home, we've been playing it wrong all these years. If you land on go, you get £200, not four. Yes? You don't get free money. It's a capitalist game. Come on. (laughs) And so it goes. Do you know, if you land on a property and choose not to buy it, that property immediately goes up to auction for everybody else. 
They're the rules of the game. Now you may say, but we don't play it like that, we've got our own rules. Fine. But if Charles Darrow is sitting around your table, he has the right to tell you how to play. His rules count. If God made this world, he has the right to set the rules of the game. He has the right to say, this is how you should live. Now, of course, you may say, I don't believe in Charles Darrow. I don't accept the premise that Charles Darrow ever existed. I believe that this game is just here by chance. I believe this game came together in a random series of things. And here it is in front of me. Therefore, any rules go. Here's the really weird thing. If that happened, you would play it almost exactly how Charles Darrow said you should. Because you can't actually fully escape his rules. And so those who want to say there is no God still end up living life according to rules that are very similar to him. So I was listening to Stephen Fry the other day, a humanist, massive humanist, does not believe in God, believes that humanity should make our own rules, decide our own rules for the game. And he said you should live your life according to justice, kindness, happiness. At which point you go, hang on, that's what God says. You see, all you're doing is you're saying the very things that God says are sort of wired into us. But of course there'll be moments when we say, no, I don't want to go God's way, I want to go my way. And so here is this big moment for Joseph where he says, I know what is right and wrong because of what God says. I wonder this afternoon whether you're willing to explore the reality there may be a God who has the right to say what is right and wrong in your life. We love to say, I can decide for myself. But actually there's a God who made you. And of course, that's why humanity so often experiences shame, which is a weird emotion. We so often feel ashamed and guilty. You see, blushing is strange. Isn't it weird that people blush? And the really strange thing is that some people really do blush very much. And we've all got friends who those are the guys who just go bright red. You're, you, some of you are here, aren't you? You're going red now. But the reality is that we can't see because it's dark, so you're safe right now. But it's fun, isn't it, with the people who blush because you just have to go, look, you're blushing. They go, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) But we blush and we are ashamed and we try to hide and we try to cover up. Why do we do that? Why do we experience shame? Why don't we live our lives along brutal, harsh, cruel rules like survival of the fittest. Why doesn't that govern our world? Well, because we're sort of made with an inbuilt thing that says there is something right and wrong and when I do something wrong, I feel guilty about it and I feel ashamed. Could that be because you've been created by God? So here is Joseph confronted with right and wrong, confronted with what do I do, confronted with shame and all this stuff and some of us sitting in this room, we know exactly what that feels like. We know what it feels like to feel shame. Shame for things we've done in the past that we know are wrong. 
Even if we don't believe in God, we still know that they're wrong. Well, here's Joseph. What does he do? The agony of making this decision. Well, let's look at the next bit. The resolution. You see, how, uh, Joseph has a dream. Look at verse 20. Oh, you can't look because you haven't got it in front of you. I'll read it to you. After Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. You see, he's afraid to take her home as his wife because of the wrong and the shame. The angel says, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife. Why? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty big thing for Joseph to get his head round, right? And yet the angel says to him, Joseph, there is nothing wrong or shameful here. What is happening with Mary is not wrong and shameful. In fact, it is beautiful and good. Joseph, there is something so remarkable going on that if only you could see... What is going on in her is that this baby that she now carries has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is no ordinary child. And the clue really is in that little description, holy. The Holy Spirit, that is God's Holy Spirit, has brought about this pregnancy and therefore it is a holy pregnancy. It is a holy child. Holy means pure and perfect and set apart. It means the opposite of wrong and shame. It means beauty and perfection. (laughs) And Joseph is being told, this baby is holy. And you know what, that sets this child's life off. This baby who will grow up to be called Jesus, this baby who grows into the man, his whole life is marked by this truth. He never does anything wrong or shameful. Never. He never said anything wrong or shameful. He never thought anything wrong or shameful. He never cheated, he never lied, he never stole. Can he... Can you imagine that? A man who had nothing to be ashamed of. Wouldn't you love to be that? Wouldn't it be an extraordinary thing to look back on your life and say, I have nothing to be ashamed of? Here was a man who never had to hide anything. Who never had to secretly hide his what he was doing in a cupboard or out of the way or Someone's coming in, quick, stop what you're doing. He never had to hide it because he was never doing anything that was shameful and wrong. He never blushed, he never felt shame, he never felt that guilt because he never did anything wrong. We hide stuff all the time, don't we? We hide who we are. I opened a raisin pot the other day in my house. And in the raisin pot, I found a bar of chocolate. (laughs) Which I thought was odd. Till I remembered that I don't like raisins. And therefore someone had thought, this is an excellent place to hide some chocolate. 
because Jonty will never look in the raisin pot. And hiding that sense of secretly covering up what we really are, that sense of putting on Facebook stuff that's not quite true, but it kind of gives a good impression of who we are, we do that all the time because we are ashamed of who we are often. Jesus never did that. He never did it because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was not born in the ordinary way. He was born as the result of a miracle. That made him holy. And so here is Joseph. Now his dilemma, do you see, has been resolved. What do I do? What do I do? Do I divorce her quietly? Do I expose her? What what do I do? This wrong thing has happened. Shh, Joseph, no. There's nothing shameful and there's nothing wrong. Take her home as your wife. This child is precious. And we may say, well, how can that... Be. How can the child be holy? Well, because of his name. And we've heard this loads this afternoon already. Because he will be called Emmanuel, that is God with us. You see, when God becomes a man, when God comes down to earth, of course he does nothing wrong. Because the one who made the rules, the one who made the world, now walks on the earth. And as he walks the earth, he shows us how to play the game. He shows us how to play the rules. If we had Charles Darrow with us, he would show us how to play Monopoly. And we'd have a game of Monopoly like we've never played before. (laughs) Pushing it slightly. And in Jesus we see a life lived like never ever before. Here's the weird thing. Jesus lived for 30 years in absolute obscurity as a carpenter in Nazareth. No one even knew him. He then burst onto the scene. He had three years of public ministry. Three years, that's not long. That's a degree, right? That's like how long you're in London for, loads of you. Three years. He never wrote a book. He never made a film. He didn't have access to the internet. He was in this little land of Israel. And yet many would hold up Jesus as the most extraordinary human being who's ever lived. Why? Because he lived a life of such beauty. And he didn't keep the rules in an obnoxious way. Because some people do, don't they? Like Like I'm in danger now of being obnoxious when I play Monopoly. Actually, I've got the rules. Turns out, you're going to jail. See, that's how we tend to keep the rules. No, Jesus kept the rules by loving people. He loved and he loved and he loved. And over and over again, he saw people in need. He never felt the shame of seeing someone in need and ignoring them. He never felt that because he always, always loved. Oh, this life! (laughs) That's why we celebrate Christmas. No one else has played the game like Jesus. No one else has lived a life like Jesus. No one else. But are you ready for the twist? Here's the twist in the story. The twist is that he saves us from our wrong and shame. You see, Joseph is told not just he's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, then he's told what to call him. She will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, this 
baby did not simply come to play the game perfectly, to live the life perfectly, to show us what we're supposed to do. He came to save us. And the remarkable thing is, as you read through the pages of the Bible, is that this baby ends up hanging dead on a cross. And do you know what Joseph, you remember what Joseph tried to avoid for Mary? So that she would not be exposed to public disgrace? That is exactly what happened to Jesus as he died. As Jesus was nailed to a cross, he was exposed to public disgrace. Crucifixion is a public, disgraceful way to die. It is reserved for the most, the most serious of criminals, for murderers, for, for traitors. And they took Jesus, they stripped him naked, they hung him up on a cross to die. But as he died on the cross... He was doing it for us. He came to save his people from their sins. See, I've got a whole heap of wrong and shame in my life. I don't even keep my rules most of the time, let alone God's rules. I don't even live up to my standards, let alone live up to the Creator's standards. I so often disappoint myself. I fail. And even if I try, I just can't live it. Can you? I can't live a life that's free from shame. I can't do it. And if I even begin to think about God, that just heaps the shame on even more. And it's when you realise you can't do it that you suddenly realise you need someone to save you. And so Jesus came and he said, I will do what you can't do. And so as Jesus died on the cross, and please, please, I beg of you to listen to this. As Jesus died on the cross, all of my disgrace, all of my shame, all of my wrong was placed on him. He took it all. Every harsh word, everything that I think no one else knows, everything that I feel ashamed of, it was placed on him and he took the punishment it deserves. He experienced the shame that should be mine. At the cross, he blushed with shame that was not his but was mine. So that I can be set free from wrong and shame forever. So that I can know that all the wrong that I've done has been forgiven. This Christmas, my great longing is that you would see that Jesus came to save. What a strange way to save the world. What a strange way. And yet there was no other way. This Christmas, there is a God in heaven who made you He loves you. He knows what's best for you. He will sometimes tell you that you're wrong because he loves you. And then he will tell you that his son died so that you could be saved. It's a funny thing in our culture, isn't it, where a red cross means you got it wrong and it means I love you. 
Isn't that weird? It's that little kid who comes home from school and says, my maths teacher loves me. (laughs) She put kisses all over my work. And yeah, that's profoundly the point. God says, you're wrong. You do things that are wrong and are shameful. But I love you. And I sent my son to die on a cross. A wooden cross. For you. I don't know what I don't know what better news there is this year. To have all your shame and your guilt taken away. To be able to lift your head, look God in the eyes and say, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, you love me and I'm forgiven. Could there be anything better than that? This Christmas I'd love you to explore this. Perhaps for some of you, even this afternoon, you could say, yes, I want that, I want it. If you, if you want that, you ask. Jesus, please would you give that to me? Take away my shame and my guilt. Maybe you're not ready to do that yet, but I'd love to give you one of these books as you leave. It's called The Gift. Have a read of it. Read about what Jesus has done. Read some more. This is not just a fairy story for Christmas. This is a true story for life. And I'd love you to get to meet Jesus this Christmas. Why don't we bow our heads and pray, and then we're going to sing a fantastic carol. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Thank you that in a world of wrong and shame, there is one who came, who lived the perfect life with no wrong and no shame, and then died to save us from our wrong and our shame. Lord Jesus, this Christmas, please would we know you, and please would we know the joy of your forgiveness. Amen.